The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. You're tuned in to Tapped Out. Hosted by Brendan Tobin and Sean Levine. Only on the BetQL Network. Hello and welcome into Tapped Out with Jake Noaker and Brendan Tobin. I'm the sports machine, Sean Levine. We've got a lot to talk about. Some fights have been at the UFC 300. But if we've got Conor McGregor news, that is where we have to start the show. And I guess we sort of have some Conor McGregor news. Uh, Dana White, the head honcho BT, says that it is going to be Michael Chandler versus Conor McGregor. Now, in the, quote, fall, unquote. I don't really know what the fall means. Is that the same thing as autumn? That's like a three, four-month period. Does this mean anything, or is this more of a smokescreen? It feels like a smokescreen. I just don't know what for. Um, first of all, it just seems like a very long time to put it off. And the only the only thing, if that is true, let's just say Dana's telling the truth. The only thing that would make sense is if that's just because Connor's not physically right. And... Look, he had a devastating injury. We've seen how Chris Weidman looked. We've seen Anderson Silva. I mean, it's possible that, you know, Connor is just not physically feeling all the way back and he wants as much time as possible. He very clearly last year spent the entire year using some kind of substances that he didn't want USADA knowing about when that actually mattered. Um, so maybe he's just not physically all the way back if Dana's telling the truth. But Connor's given voice. Uh, pretty recently, as of a couple of months ago, I think even more, maybe even like a month ago, when he's in Saudi Arabia for some of these fights, saying like he's tired of being held back, he wants to go make his living. So that sounds like a guy who doesn't want to be waiting. He's teased on New Year's that he's going to be fighting at UFC 300. Then he's like, oh, International Fight Week, you know. So I, I don't know. He sounds like a guy that wants to fight. And then Michael Chandler is kind of the only guy dangling out here who really doesn't have a say-so in it. He's just trying to sh show for a payday. So there's part of me that's wondering, like, are the UFC and Connor in cahoots because they want to smoke Chandler out and hope that he takes another fight and they can go in another direction of whatever. Nate Diaz, Makachev what something sexier than even Michael Chandler, because it's been a while since the ultimate fighter, the, the steam's kind of worn off that and they want to just go and do something different. That's the way I'm kind of leaning on this. This feels like a play to get Michael Chandler off the fight. It seems like you've got your tinfoil hat on. So I'll join you here. There have been some rumors about Khabib coming back. Now Khabib came out earlier this week and said, I'm not coming back for 300. That's just hearsay. Although, if we haven't heard exactly when Connor's coming back, and Khabib hasn't been there for a while, maybe that's that UFC 300 main event that we've been looking for. Because if your point that maybe the UFC thinks there's something sexier than Michael Chandler, they would just do it. They would just say, sorry, screw you, Michael Chandler. We're going with Nate Diaz 3 or whoever it is. I don't think that they're that committed to Chandler where they would even feel that bad giving him a payday and giving him maybe like a number one contender fight. So... I don't think that's what it is. I actually think that there's a chance, not versus Khabib, but versus somebody that maybe Connor is half of the main event of UFC 300. It's very strange. Like, I don't know why then put this idea that he's going to be gone. Like, why not just say we still got it in the works? I, I don't know if he's got an answer for UFC 300. I know he's been teasing it, but I think he's kind of just in the breeze right now, hoping something miraculously drops in his lap. And I don't think he it has it that way, doesn't it? It really starts a little it bit feeling that way. It's like I think he knows what he doesn't have, which we're talking about Conor McGregor and John Jones and Jorge Masvidal. Some of what would have been easy answers six months or a year or two years ago, maybe Adesanya. Like his name hasn't come up in a while, right? We don't know exactly his future plan maybe he fights Pereira for the third time is that the main event of 300 I don't know there, there's been some fodder that you know Izzy and, and DDP for 300 is a possibility 
um, which I think is a great fight. It's not like this earth shattering fight that like we've been waiting for. That's one that kind of just fell into their lap too, because DDP just fought on the first pay-per-view of the year. So they can't sit here and act like this has been the big reveal the whole time. When you're, when you're sitting around here and you're just waiting and you're like, Oh, I'm teasing. And I got this. Eh, it gets to the point where like, it better be good. It better be worth all of the, the, the cryptic, you know, tweets and posts and teases and all this type of stuff. But as far as Connor's concerned, I don't know. I'm very curious to see, you know, he's not shy to put the, uh, to, to get to his Twitter thumbs and, have things to say about this. I actually just put him on notifications. I want to see like when he's, uh, you know, whenever this goes down and whatever he has to say, I'm curious what that's going to be. Um, and, and, and what this means for, for Chandler, if there is going to become a breaking point for Michael Chandler, because if we talk about these things, like obviously Dana, he can wait forever. They got a guaranteed TV deal. Connor, he's got more money than God. Michael Chandler sounds like he's well off, but eventually I think he does want to probably get to fighting. And I'd imagine that there is a, an end date to when he's got to go fight. And so that, that to me is the only thing that really makes sense. If they really are trying to put this guys like Connor's not going to be ready till the fall. Yeah. It sucks for us fans. And it sucks for Michael Chandler. Cause he doesn't really have an option. Like problem is if he takes another fight, and loses ahead of that, then nobody's interested. You just have to wait. You got to wait it out. Got to wait for that giant red panty night payday. Uh, that's Brendan Tobin. I'm the sports machine, Sean Levine. Uh, so we're talking about the possibility of Connor coming back. Alexander Volkanovsky comes back for the next pay-per-view. This just revealed earlier this week. This is straight from the horse's mouth. Quote, I was drinking almost every day. This is Volk leading up to that second fight versus Islam. We've had Volkanovski on the show. He's about as headstrong, no pun intended, as any human on planet Earth, let alone fighter. This was kind of crazy to read that Volkanovski was in such a dark place. Now, even on our show, like he was answering, it was one, it was a question you asked him one time, and he got like real deep and he started talking about like these demons. Now, he doesn't like having off time. He wants to stay busy so he can keep fighting so he doesn't have to worry about those other things. It was just crazy for me to read. I can't picture Volk sitting around getting drunk by himself. Yeah, I can. He's Australian. <laughs> like, I, he dies with sharks. That was another thing, you know, okay. we talked about in that interview. Like, I don't, I wasn't that shook by this. I mean, like, look, fighters live fast outside fighting. It's why a lot of them do like to stay active. Look at Conor McGregor when he's not fighting. He not is good. a menace. Look at John Jones when he doesn't fight. Not good. I mean, like. A lot of these guys, they go hard when they don't have that structure of camp That because they live so overly disciplined in those spots. Not everybody is a George St. Pierre. Not everybody is in that mode all the time. And I think especially a guy like Volk, who's probably like, think about what his body used to be, where he was over 200 pounds to where he is now. Like, I do think, you know, he's not going Patty Pimblet on everybody and, and ballooning up, but it happens, man. I remember Ricky Hatton was nicknamed Ricky Fatten when he was out of the ring. Like he'd balloon up from a junior welterweight to to you know this this tubby pudgy little guy. I'm not really that worried about it uh, for Volk. I think Volk, when it comes down to business, is going to be ready. I think if anything, props to him going through all of that and then still wanting to step in the cage and take a risk. Um, maybe wasn't the smartest decision. Maybe he should have been more honest with how ready he was to step in with Makachev because you knew how dangerous a fight that was, especially going up a weight class. But um, it doesn't impact the way I look at him going to the Taporia fight, but I think it will impact the betting lines. He says he's going to humble Ilya Taporia. That's his plan. He knows that there are a lot of people, including myself, that now – once you see somebody get knocked out that way, you just wonder what they're going to look like coming back. Even if it is one of the top, and I think Volk is seven, eight fighters to ever step into the octagon. When you get knocked out like that, I still want to see what you look like next time. He didn't get knocked out, but he didn't look good. Colby Covington revealed the x-ray, broken foot from the Leon fight. Does that explain anything to you? Are you still confused? What do you think is next for Colby? Do we care? I mean, I care. I won't say I don't care about Colby. Like he's he he's, bad, he's had a he, 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 he looked sucked. bad. Does it does it make sense that he looked that poor because of a broken foot? 
it's not nothing. I think it, it definitely could have an explanation, but I don't think, you know, I don't think it was everything. I think that, that, you know, Leon, I think clearly outclassed him in a lot of areas. And the only times that Kobe even looked possible to have any success in that fight was when Leon was basically like going for wild stuff on the ground. So I, I think that, you know, Colby's probably searching. He's not, this is one of the things with Colby that's interesting. He spent the last five years of his career cherry picking opportunities because he knew like, Hey, people are going to care when I fight. I think the dangerous thing for him right now is I don't know how many people care about him fighting. He's not even like the most outrageous guy in the promotion anymore. It's probably Sean Strickland, if anything. So I am uh, I am curious to see what this crossroads means for him and what kind of a win he needs to get back in the good graces of the fans. I don't really know. I think, if anything, he's probably got to take a page out of, like, Gilbert Burns and Dustin Poirier's book of taking on a young killer like Jack Della Maddalena or Benoit Saint-Denis. He's got to go and prove himself against one of these young killers to show, hey, I still got it. And I don't know. That's that's going to be the interesting thing with Colby because he hasn't been the gatekeeper before. That's 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 a new position for him. He called out an old killer, actually. Remember when he lost that fight? They gave him the microphone. He called out our Wonder Boy, Stephen Thompson. Yeah, and that I was embarrassing. Point, I think I'd take it was embarrassing. I think I'd take Wonder Boy in that fight. And I was like a huge Colby guy going into that Leon fight. I I don't know, man. If that went down, Colby would be the favorite. I would probably put my money on Stephen Thompson. Um, Sean O'Malley, speaking of young killers, was kind of harsh on himself. I was checking out his podcast, and he was talking about his own microphone skills, saying the reason that he's so popular is because what he does in the octagon. He always gets the comparisons to Conor McGregor. I think that's kind of like pretty introspective of a young guy that's already champion. Would you agree with that, that O'Malley, his popularity would be even more? Because right now I'd say he's just a little bit above average on the microphone. Um, yeah, I don't think he's the most charismatic dude in the world. Um, looks cool, you know, knocks people out. Interviewed him, yeah, interviewed him a couple of times. Didn't he come away saying, like, that was the most interesting conversation ever? Didn't think it was the worst conversation ever, thought it was fine. Um, but I think he's he's right in that the most important thing is his style in the octagon because he's already got the look. Everybody, like, the one thing I'll say, he's the one of the most recognizable guys everybody knows he's got the crazy hair you know he's usually going to have some cool gimmick that's going to lead into that does he need to get better with the trash talk yeah probably but like he's not like connor like connor is a coked up irishman sean o'malley's a, a pothead <laughs> you know like yeah. he's you know, like living in a brothel and like there's all these lovers all over the place like he lives he lives a little <laughs> bit different than, than him. They, one dude's Irish, one guy's from Montana slash Arizona or whatever, you know? Like, they just go at a different speed. Uh, I don't think he needs to be Connor as long as he gets cool knockouts. Um, you know, plus he doesn't have the cool accent either. Like, that's always a big, that's a big miss too. You know, the Irish have an advantage with that. Yeah, but the hair is cool and he's got the, the face tattoos and the, the goatee and he knocks people out. That's what's cool about him. Like the Conor McGregor, he's got a he's got oh, he's not a big guy. He's like five eight, five nine, but he's got some muscle. Like the fact Conor McGregor's knocking people out doesn't really shock you. Sean O'Malley, man, like he that's more like I guess Israel Adesanya. If you saw Adesanya fight Joel Romero in the street and didn't know anything about fighting, you'd be like, uh oh, this big brother, this skinny guy is about to get his ass whooped here, and that just isn't the case. So I think that's why people like watching Sean O'Malley also is. He doesn't look like he'd be a fighter. He looks like he'd be a guy you pass the blunt to at a frat party. And maybe that also. But that's kind of cool. Um, we got a couple minutes left here, and then we'll wrap up the segment. Let's talk a minute of boxing. Fury versus Usyk. Not off, but delayed because Fury got cut. So the fight's now going to be in May. Who does the delay benefit more? I suppose Tyson Fury to get into good shape. Although I just saw a, like a, a quick, who's he with? Oh, he was, uh, he was with Mike Tyson. Fury looks pretty good right now. He does look good. Uh, he he put out some photos after the cut happened. I was like, oh, he, he looks like he was in much better shape than he was for the Francis Ngannou fight. Uh, I don't necessarily know if it benefits either guy. I think it's one of these frustrating things. I think when you're that close to a fight, you know, we were talking a couple weeks out and they're probably winding down sparring. I think that's, if anything, it's just a frustrating thing for both guys because now 
you basically have to cool down, probably get away from it for a little bit so you don't overcook yourself and then go back into camp. So I don't really think there's a benefit one way or the other. I guess if you're going to say one, probably Usyk, just because now Fury does have this cut, he has been cut, and that's always a good look in a fight is if you can cut a guy open and he had that scar tissue, it's a, it's a tough look for the judges. So I think for Fury, that's definitely something that he's got to keep in mind with the uh, with this upcoming bout, but I don't think it's a disadvantage for him just because this is uh, going on the shelf for a little bit. That's BT on the sports machine. Sean Levine coming up on the other side. We bring on sports handicapper, Maddie Betts to the show. You're locked into the BetQL network. back with more tapped out with brendan tobin and sean levine on the betql network welcome back again guys to tapped out here on the betql network and it's time to bring in one of our friends of the program love having this guy on maddie Betts. if you guys want to make some money always go follow this guy on social media he does a fantastic job week in and week out with the fight game picks but now he's got a new project that he's launching which i'm excited to, to hear about maddie because you know i'm a south florida guy i'm happy to see you guys getting into some of the coverage with my guy gilbert burns so before we get into uh the fights going ahead last week you know was there anything that you were really proud of of the uh of the car that went down ufc making its return we got a packed february schedule but from the uh imamov delize card was there anything that really stood out to you as far as like nailed that or one that you're still kicking yourself over you're always very honest one way or another of how things are going i was like if i lose this bet too i'm gonna be down horrendous but uh dover was starting to really tag moicano on the feet and then moicano got it to the ground and then the clock just kept ticking so and then that fight ended up going the distance which was like it was like plus 250 i think to go the distance so um but i, I hit on that over i had a terrible prelims i went like oh for seven on the prelims i mean most of my picks are 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 you know, bigger odds. So like, you know, usually you're on one for seven or two for seven. I'm at least breaking even or making money, but I literally went over for seven on the prelims main card. I actually had uh delete say in the main event. So I lost that one too. But the crazy thing is I had delete say round four and I thought for a second there, I was going to get a lucky DQ win. And I'm telling you right now, if I was on the other side, it would have been a DQ. <laughs> it feels like it would have been a DQ win. Cause I can't tell you how many times I've lost by DQ. The Jacob Malkoon, Cody Brundage fight, I had a huge bet on Jacob Malkoon inside the distance. He loses by DQ. And then this one time, I'm like, I'm about to finally get lucky on an intentional, you know, kick to the head on the ground. Of course, Delice wasn't too banged up from it. Tough guy, continues the fight when he probably could have just, you know, he probably could have refused to keep fighting. And he may have even got the nod based off of that that round four DQ. So, but it didn't happen. Ended up losing in the main event, um, but not a bad card overall, just from the entertainment aspect, but I got crushed. I got crushed on my, on my picks. Yeah. And then this weekend, obviously my boy, Joey Pfeiffer fights out of Philly. So mm. uh, how, how do you have that one going down? Joe Pfeiffer, Jack Romanson. Yeah. I'm a big Philly guy too. I grew up in Pennsylvania. Um, I love Joe Pfeiffer. I think he's super entertaining. Uh, I will say, I'm not going to take his money line. I think, you know, you pay like minus, what's it at? Minus 260, minus 280, whatever the number is now. 
that's very, very wide, in my opinion, against a guy like Jack who's just, you know, he's fought a lot of good guys. He's got a lot of experience. He actually has five-round experience, unlike Joe Pfeiffer. So, like, I'm not going to touch that money line, but I don't hate it all like a Joe Pfeiffer inside the distance bet. Maybe you look at round two, round three um, is maybe some, some good paying odds you'll probably get in those two rounds. But I think Pfeiffer probably gets the finish in that fight, and I would rather play that than the money line. It's just so expensive. Matty, is like when did, when do you usually have faith in a guy when they get into these stages of like their first main events? People are, you know, there's gonna be there's a lot of hype this week and build up behind Joe Pfeiffer. And knowing that he is taking on such a dog in a in a in a in a veteran sense from Jack Hermans. He's been in there with a ton of guys. When do you feel like you know that it's safe to put your money on a on a on a guy like that going into the the bright lights? Yeah, I mean, I think the answer is you really don't like. At the end of the day, you're going to be gambling if you if you if you take him here in his first shot in, in a five round fight. Um, but I think again, it's just it comes down to how you want to play the bet. You know, like I don't want to lay almost three to one on a guy that's never fought five rounds against a guy that has fought five rounds and inside the top fifteen. So, like to me, I'm not going to lay that kind of exposure on a money line play. But you know, if I can get a round two or three finish, or I can get Pfeiffer inside the distance at plus money, then to me that's a no brainer, and that's that's the way I would look to play it. Are there uh, any any other plays on the card that you're liking other than the main event? It's not like the most stacked card, but like the top yeah. three fights are all entertaining at least. Yeah, I was looking at the RoboCop fight um, against Brad Tavares. I'm actually looking right now to see what – because I would love to take uh, Gregory Rodriguez by decision in that fight just because Tavares is so tough to finish. But I think I think uh, Rodriguez can, can win that fight, maybe like a 29-28 or like a 30-27. Um, I want to see what that number comes in at by points. Yeah, you can get RoboCop plus 180 to win by decision. Um, I think that's a no-brainer, you know. I think he's going to utilize the wrestling, the grappling, get the fight to the ground. But Tavares might be tough to get out of there. So I think, you know, you're going to get a minus 250 favorite at like plus 180 to win by, win by decision. I think that's a play you could maybe look at there. This will obviously all be an appetizer for a couple of weeks from now, Maddie. when we get UFC 298, Volkanovski back in the cage, defending his featherweight title against Ilya Teporia. Do feel like Teporia, there's a, a lot of momentum building behind him, but Volk, this is his division. He's back now home. Where are you, where are you leaning so far in this, in this main event coming up at UFC 298? Yeah, what's the number at right now? Do you know? I know it's went way down. Let me see. I'll grab it for you while we'll. Uh, yeah, I think we Volk's like that. just a small favorite now. So it was, yeah, it's it interesting, right? Because like, yeah, no, it's interesting. I think at a certain point, like if you can get Volk at like minus one twenty, minus one thirty against anyone at that weight class, you almost have to auto bet yeah. it. But I think the reason the fight's he's, so interesting is because yeah. he's right now minus one twenty five to Poria, minus one hundred two. So yeah, it's yes. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, look, Toporia, I think you can make a case for it, you know, if you're getting like plus 130, plus 150. But it's hard to back him at, you know, almost even money against a guy like Volk. Uh, so it's a it's a really tough fight. I mean, Toporia is super confident. You see all the stuff he's doing behind the scenes, like putting that he's already the champ in his Instagram bio. And, you know, the dude's confident. And if you look at the way he's won every fight in the UFC, like he's he's really beating guys. I mean – he wasn't able to get Josh Emmett out of there, but he pretty much did in round two. It was very close, and it was a beatdown for five rounds. So it's just – it's going to be a scrap. I think it's going to be – I think it's just going to be a boxing match on the feet. Like I don't even think the fight's going to hit the ground, honestly. Um, and I think it's 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 going to be pretty close to even on the feet. So it, it's tough. to It's tough for me. I would lean Volk at the current price point. Um, but – Man, I'm not confident at all, to be honest. More so just because he's coming off of the, the 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 head kick knockout loss. I think if that didn't happen, I think you'd be a lot more confident in backing him. I'm also curious about this, Matty, because you mentioned you know his number and, and and how it's moved. I wonder, you know, he has this news come out this week that he was depressed, that he was drinking in the lead up, and I almost wonder if that's something that like as the fight gets closer and more people, de- you know. I feel like if it's going to sway anyway, it feels like maybe you get to the point where the number is going to get even sweeter on Volk 
as the fight gets closer, just because it feels like that public, you know, perception yeah. of him maybe is eh, maybe he's not ready for this. Do you think that's a possibility before we get to that uh, that card? Yeah, no, I definitely do. I think we're already seeing that, and I think but a lot of a lot of money is going to come in next week on it. Um, and I think I I would not be shocked if it becomes a pick'em on some books. I really wouldn't. Um, and I think again, <laughs> at a certain point, you have to auto bet Volk. Like if you get Volk at a pick'em at this weight class, like you almost have to auto bet it no matter who he's fighting. So it's something to think about for sure. Um, but it's a very tough fight to to predict. That's for sure. And then co-main event two ninety eight. I mean, a couple months ago, I would have said Robert Whitaker all day. Paulo Costa, absolutely yeah. no chance. And now, after Duplessis, like I, I don't know. Like this is a toss-up for me now. How do you feel about that one? Yes. Um, so, what's the number on that one currently? But I, I like I like Robert Whitaker. I, I I got destroyed betting on him against Duplessis. I was live at that fight, and I could not believe he lost that fight, and especially the way that he did. But there, I have some concerns. Like, you know, he kind of got, like, big-brothered in that fight. With, like, Duplessis was just a bigger guy, took it to the ground, was just coming forward. And Paul Acosta is kind of a guy that, is, you know, makes you, you know, remind you of that, right? He's just so big and physical. But I just – I can't trust Paul Acosta, even as an underdog, to come in and beat Whitaker. And I think this is a good spot to buy low on Whitaker here, you know, coming off of that loss. So I got to back Robert Whitaker there, but I don't know what the number is currently. He's uh he's minus two twenty right now. Robert Whitaker going into this one. The cost is like plus one sixty eight. Yeah, I like Whitaker at that number. Um, I'm not really sure which direction it's going to go, you know, between now and the fight. But I think minus two twenty is a good price. Definitely a good parlay piece too if you want to throw Whitaker in a parlay. Um, but I just I can't trust Paulo Costa. To me, it's like I would rather take Whitaker coming off of that loss where I know he's super motivated and refocused. Versus back in Paulo Costa, where we just don't know where his head's really at. Matty, I want to ask you. Uh, as, as I just want to ask you some some of the drama that's going on this week with UFC. Uh, Dana comes out; he's doing some radio row interviews, and now they're saying that the Connor Michael Chandler fight is now going to be in the fall. What just what do you make is going on right now? Do you think this is Connor puppet strings do you think they're trying to smoke out Chandler and hoping that he bows out I don't get this man like because it you know you know Connor publicly saying he's ready obviously Michael Chandler seems he's ready I don't understand why this seems to keep getting kicked down the the, the road what, what are you making of all this drama if he is true to his word that this is a, a now a fall fight yeah no I think that's the key the key words there is if it's actually true because a part of me thinks like, hey, maybe they're just saying this to set the expectation the right way. And then when they come back and then say, oh, this is the main event, maybe it'll kind of, you know, create some excitement. But I don't know. I don't get it. I think it's extremely mysterious. We know Chandler's ready to fight. Connor's acting like he's ready to go. I'm just wondering, like, what's going on behind the scenes? Is it a – because a part of me is like, do they want do they want Connor on UFC 300, right? Um, you would think yes, but like USC 300 is going to do stupid numbers regardless. And then obviously the amount of money it costs to put McGregor on that card, that has me thinking as well. Like, is it a profitability thing? Do you want to put all your eggs in the one basket on USC 300 and have a crazy amount of overhead? So I don't know. That's just that's just the first thing that comes to mind to me. But the whole thing doesn't make any sense to me. There's got to be something behind the scenes going on. And Maddie, you know, UFC 299 coming up pretty soon before two, uh, 300 and that's down in your, your space, you and BT's town in Miami stack card, Gilbert Burns, new business card uh, partners on that. So what fight are you most excited for there? Any bets standing out to you? Oh, it's, it's definitely Gilbert versus Jack Della. I'm, I'm so excited for that fight. Um, I'm just excited for Gilbert. Like he, you know, a lot of people say he's taking a fight that he really shouldn't take on a guy down the rankings. Um, but, I love I love that he's taking this fight. You know, I think uh, he wants to prove that like he'll take on someone young and hungry. And I think Gilbert takes this fight to the ground and and gets a late finish is my prediction. So I'm definitely gonna be hammering Gilbert Burns on the money line. Um, what, what what's the what's the main event there? That's uh, O'Malley and Vera. Yeah, O'Malley and Vera. So the for the main event, you know, 
I just think, you know, when people say like, like matchups make fights and styles make fights, like you look at a guy like, like Cheeto Vera, he can go out and get dominated by Corey Sanhagen, right? Um, or really anybody, like anybody that has like the wrestling and can just bring it to the ground. But I think Cheeto is actually a really tough matchup for Sean O'Malley because we know Sean's not going to wrestle, right? And then on the feet, Cheeto's as durable as it gets. So like it's not like he's going to walk into something the way that Aljo did, in my opinion. So I think that as longer that fight goes on, it gets really interesting. And if you're back in Sean O'Malley there, I think you get nervous as that fight goes on because I don't see Sean being able to get him out of there. So I think if you're going to if there's two bets you're going to play on that on that fight, I think you either look at uh, a Sean O'Malley by decision, depending on what that number is, or you look at Cheeto inside the distance. Um, I think either of those two could show some value in that matchup. So, Matt, before we get you out of here, man, a couple more things on uh, on your new project here, Home of Fight. So you mentioned, like, you guys want to do something a little bit different. I just – I'm curious – not you don't have to spoil what you guys are going to do different, but what are some things that like when you look around the media landscape in in this game that you say I want to do that a little bit better? What are the things that have stood out to you when you put this you know project together and you're putting your brains together? What are the things that you wanted to get out of this? Yeah, so I don't want to say better. I just want to say different or more unique because even when talking with guys like Gilbert and Brunson and some of these fighters, like. They just feel like they get asked the same questions over and over. You know, how's the fight camp? How's training? How are you feeling? Like just a lot of repetition and the, and the same things over and over. And like we want to do things like where we have fighters interviewing fighters. Like like if we can hand Gilbert a mic, even at 299, you know, if he wants to interview other fighters, like I think that's going to spice up some content, right? Then we want to get really focused on the pick side of things. Obviously, that's my background is, is sports betting, picks, gambling, all those things. Um, we're going to be launching home of fight picks in the upcoming weeks. Um, and like, we're going to be launching podcasts and shows. And I think we just want to cover content and a little bit or cover the sport a little bit differently than most. We don't want to do just traditional media coverage because honestly, there's, there's so much of that and it'll be hard for us to stand out, you know, just enter and enter in such a late stage of the game. And I mean, just touching on what you just said there, you know, working with Gilbert Burns and Derek Brunson, like not many MMA media companies actually have fighters covering the sport. They have journalists covering fighters. So what like unique yep. layer or level is that going to add to home fight? Yeah. So um, even with Gilbert yesterday, we were just talking a little bit about it and he's like, he just feels like fighters are going to open up way more. Right. If you have a fighter talking to another fighter and interviewing another fighter, they're going to, their guard kind of goes down. They're willing to open up more. They're willing to maybe say things and talk about things that maybe they're not necessarily going to open up about if it's just someone else asking them. Right. And we know that in the industry, there's a lot of fighters that like, you know, they want to be careful what they say because it gets twisted. It's used for a headline. It's used for, you know, for a narrative or for different things. So I think we'll see that fighters guards will kind of drop down. They'll be more open to, to talking about things and just collaborating and, and working with us in, in general. Maddie Brett, always appreciate when you stop by the show, man. Thank you so much. Best of luck with your uh, new project, Home of Fight, and appreciate you always giving us some time, man. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you both. All right.
We're back with more Tapped Out with Brendan Tobin and Sean Levine on the BetQL Network. And welcome back into Tapped Out. We appreciate you checking us out here on the BetQL Network. I'm the sports machine, Sean Levine. That's Jake Noaker. And let's welcome into the party Dylan Rush. You can follow him at Rush MMA 11 So in a little bit, we'll talk about UFC 300, where the card is starting to come together. First, your thoughts on the next pay-per-view that we have. Alexander Volkanovsky taking on Ilya Taporia. Taporia was a guy that nobody really knew who he was about two years ago, and now everybody does. Is he good enough to beat the great Alexander Volkanovsky? I think he's good enough. I don't think he will. I think he's definitely come into his own in recent years. That victory over uh, Thug Nasty, Bryce Mitchell definitely put him on the map. Dominant masterclass over Josh Emmett, who we just saw, you know, Josh Emmett come back and knock out Doug Nasty, Bryce Mitchell. So Ilya Topuria is definitely one of the best, most highly skilled featherweights in the world right now. And he's very confident, man. He already in his Instagram bio, he has UFC champion. He has 15-0 despite him being 14-0. And, you know, he's about to fight for the title. But I still think Alexander Volkanovsky, a guy that's never lost at the featherweight division, his true weight class, I don't see him uh, losing this one this time out. And then, you know, co-main event for that one is an absolute banger as well. Paulo Costa, Robert Whitaker. Uh, we just had Matty Betts on, and I said, Matty, you know, three, four months ago, you asked me who wins this fight. I say all day, Robert Whitaker. Now, after Duplessis, after, you know, some time off, and Paulo Costa just being that X factor, how do you see this fight going down? I can definitely see Paulo Costa defeating Robert Whitaker. I don't know. I mean, uh, Paulo Costa is definitely the underdog. I don't know exactly what the odds are. I'm sure you guys know. But uh, if I was going to go with an underdog for this one, I would go with Costa before I'd go with Toporia. I know Toporia and Alexander Volkanovsky are pretty even odds now, which is actually surprising to me. But yeah, Costa, he, I think because of how well, how well he speaks on the mic and all the antics he plays on social media, it distracts you from the fact that he really is a well-rounded fighter. He has all the power in the world. He has what it takes to take out Robert Whitaker. He has the grappling, the uh, takedown defense. I'm sure it'll be more of a striking battle between these two guys, but I could definitely see Paulo Costa sneaking maybe a decision win over the Reaper, Robert Whitaker. I like the underdog, too. Obviously, we love dogs on this particular show. Uh, we're talking with Dylan Rush here on the BetQL Network. I'll always play. Enough. If my dog barks in the background and I'm talking about an underdog, I'll double down <laughs> on that damn guy. Um, That's a sign, right? Dude, I'll do it. I'll do it right now if I have to. Watch. I'll bet on Cheeto Vera versus Sean O'Malley. Would that be oh, a silly shoot. thing to do, though? Would that be a silly thing to do? I kind of think Cheeto has a chance. I think he definitely has a chance. That's another one that's close. I mean, I personally don't agree with the matchmaking. I wish that uh, Corey Sandhagen or Marab was getting the shot. Of course, Corey Sandhagen beat uh, Cheeto Vera recently. But I don't know. I mean, Cheeto won the first one, of course, that was due to injury, but... He has, he's another guy that has what it takes. He's another guy who's one of the best bantamweights in the world. He has the chin. He has the striking. It's going to be a good one. I could def I like the dogs, man. Like you said, I think we, we go dogs with Cheeto barking, on that one. Baby. Dogs are barking. <laughs> so, dude, if Cheeto beats Sean, like, where does that leave the bantamweight division? Do you give Sean a rematch just because he's the hype guy? I know he doesn't even have a title defense, but I don't know. I feel like UFC wants Sean to win. UFC Brass wants Sean to win. He sells. But if Cheeto shakes things up, what do you do with that division? Well, you said it. UFC definitely is in, uh, you know, they put Sean in these good positions. But I do not see him getting an immediate title shot, considering what you just said. He didn't get, he didn't have any title defenses. We had a guy, Aljamain Sterling, who was 11-1 in his last last 12 fights, maybe four uh, title defenses, arguably the best bantamweight of all time. And he's not getting an immediate uh, re title rematch with Sean O'Malley. So I don't see, if Sean O'Malley drops this one, I believe the next title shot would go to the winner of Henry Cejudo and Marab Dualishvili at UFC 299 in Miami. Who do you think wins that fight? We had Cejudo on the show, and he actually was like one of the most fun interviews. We brought all the fighters on. I really enjoyed talking to Henry Cejudo, although I hope he's not listening right now because I think Marab whoops his ass. I disagree with both of you guys. I see you nodding too. I think Henry Cejudo is going to take this one. I think Marab Dualishvili is not only one of the best bandmates in the world, He's one of the best fighters in the world, and I think he beats 14, maybe 13 out of 15, to, uh, the top 15, maybe more, who knows. But I think Henry Cejudo is a bad matchup for him. I don't think that – I think uh, what, what Marab did against Piotr Jan was insane. I don't know how many takedowns he attempted, maybe 50, maybe 100 for all I know. But I don't think he his takedowns and his game plan will fare as well against Henry Cejudo, who, of course, Triple C, Olympic medalist, you know, 
to one of the best out there. So I'm taking Cejudo at plus 165, I believe the line is. I think that's a go in the lock-in. Parlay with Volkanovski, man. Jake, remember you and I got paid on that uh, Marab Yan fight. I texted you in the morning. I was like, hold on. Mar- Marab was a 3-1 to one underdog. Marab was Marab plus 300 in the time of that fight. Pays. Crazy. Marab, Duplessis, just give me them underdog odds yes. every time. I-, I will cash, cash, mm-hmm. cash. Definitely. Nate the train until last time also. Anyway, what you got, Jake? Uh, anyways, I was going to say, Sean, by the way, just un- unrelated to what I'm going to say, but Nate the Train's next fight. You'll like that. You Hopefully, we'll hear about that soon. Anyways, uh, Philadelphia, related to Nate the Train. Dylan, this weekend, uh, you know, you interviewed Petrosky, his boy, Joe Pfeiffer, headlining a card before we can get to all these exciting main uh, pay-per-view cards. We got this card, which is kind of boring except for the main event. So, you think Philly takes home that win, or you think Jack Hermanson spoils the hype train? The newest member of the UFC 5 video game, Joe Pfeiffer, in the main event, Body Bags. I definitely go with Joe Pfeiffer in this one. I know we like the dogs, but, I mean, Pfeiffer, he's on the up and up. He has all some of the most powerful hands in the division. Jack Hermanson, a great fighter. He's a great grappler. He's definitely had some great performances in the UFC. Definitely has more experience than his opponent. But I see a guy that's kind of slowly on the decline versus a guy like Joe Pfeiffer, who has all the momentum in the world. I think Piper definitely pulls up the win. I would even go on, go as far to say that he'll get the knockout in this one. He'll get the finish. Talk a little fighting here with Dylan Rush on the BetQL Network. All right, UFC 300. Before I guess we get into some of these matchups and who you like and who you're betting, do you think we have a main event yet? Do I think it's booked yet? Honestly, yeah. probably not. I feel like I feel like it probably isn't booked yet. I feel like Dana is. I feel like there's it's a it's a tense time at the UFC headquarters right now trying to find a UFC. I, I they definitely have a couple different matchups in the works. I bet I doubt that it's signed yet, but ones that I could see happening, maybe I'll say three matchups: Israel Adesanya and Drikas Duplessis for that middleweight strap. Uh, Alexander, uh, Alex Pereira moving up to heavyweight to take on Tom Aspinall. I mean, I think it might have to be a little bit crazier than that based on how Dana White has been hyping it up in recent weeks and months. But uh, that's a fight I would love to see Pereira and Nasper. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to see that one? And then the last one, which I think might be the most likely out of the three, I'm sorry, Iron Mike Chandler. I think we might see Conor McGregor versus Nate Diaz 3. The trilogy ensues. The last fight of the trilogy, I think, might be the headliner for UFC 300. Sean said earlier, Sean said he doesn't think McGregor's out of the running, even with that announcement that the, uh, the Chandler fight's moving to fall. So are you saying you think that's maybe why Dana said they're going to do the fall because they got bigger plans for McGregor before that? You said it, Jake. I think that might be why they're moving that one to fall. They didn't say Conor McGregor's return is moving back to fall. They said Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler is moving back to fall. You got to read in between the, point, between the lines. It, guys, also, it makes sense, the timing, if you think about it, because Nate's looking for a deal. Conor's coming back. It feels like Conor's not in love with this Michael Chandler fight. They need somebody for UFC 300. And at some point, and I don't think we're there yet, this becomes Pacquiao Mayweather, if you know what I mean, where it's like, damn, I still want to see the fight, but it happened three years past its due date. If this happens UFC 300, can you imagine? I mean, I'm already excited for the card. I think that Dana's actually stacked up a pretty damn good card, all things considered. If we get Nate Diaz versus Conor McGregor part three to headline UFC 300, then this really is the greatest card of all time. I think you're right. I definitely think so. I think that Conor McGregor has gone on record multiple times saying the trilogy has to take place. That third fight, of course, one one. They need the rubber match, so it needs to happen. These guys aren't getting any younger. And like you said, the timing is lining up perfectly. Nate Diaz looking for a deal. Conor McGregor coming back. And I think, as you said, I think if you're Dana White, if you're the UFC, you want UFC 300 to be one of, if not the biggest UFC cards of all time, one of the biggest events of all time. And that being said, you got to cater the, to the casuals a little bit. And while there are a m- bunch of great fights for both casuals and hardcores already uh, on the card, I think that the main event has to be a Conor McGregor or a Nate Diaz, two guys that even if you're not a hardcore fan, you know Nate Diaz and you definitely know Conor McGregor. So, Dylan, what do you think the odds would be for that fight? Because most of the time you say you have to pay the Conor McGregor tax, but you also have to pay a Nate Diaz tax. We're talking about maybe the two most popular guys when they're both in the UFC. I think it's a pick em. I think it's a pick em, but I don't think that the odds will reflect that. I think, like you said, the Conor McGregor tax, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Conor McGregor open at even minus 200 for that fight. I mean, it's mm-hmm. Nate Diaz, especially some guys, they might put a stock into the boxing match with Jake Paul and just Nate Diaz in recent times. He hasn't 
I don't know when the last time he won a fight was definitely a couple years ago, but uh, I think it is kind of a toss up for that fight. Like I, I personally think it's a big one, but I don't know. I think the odds makers might see it uh, differently. Dylan, great stuff, man. We appreciate your time. You can follow him at Rush MMA 11. We got to get you back on soon, man. Appreciate you. Thank you guys, man. I had a great time. Thank you guys for having me. You rock, you rock Rush. Appreciate Good you stuff, guys. dude. Tobin and Sean Levine on the BetQL Network. It is the final segment of today's show. We appreciate you checking out Tapped Out here on the BetQL Network. Jake Noaker wearing the Kansas City Chiefs red beanie, knowing damn well they're about to win another Super Bowl at the same time a Philadelphia Eagles hoodie, so clearly confused. And me, the sports machine, Sean Levine. Um, Let's talk UFC 300 while we have a few minutes left before we wrap things up. Give out some odds and your early thoughts. Max versus Gaethje. Who knows? That might end up being the main event. Max Holloway plus 185. Justin Gaethje, the BMF at minus 225. Is he still the BMF after this fight? Oh, man. That's such a hard question. I Probably. Max is so good. I mean, best box in the UFC, in my opinion. Him and Paul. Never been knocked down. Never been knocked down. My issue is... His fight against Poirier, he couldn't get it going. Just he was too small. Like, that was it. The power wasn't enough. He was too small. The pitter-patter shots that work at featherweight didn't work at lightweight. And I think it's just going to kind of be more of the same here. Like, you can use MMA map and say, Gaethje just knocked out Poirier. 
Poirier beat Holloway. So what's Gaethje going to do to Holloway? But all that aside, no, you just got to look at the size of these fighters. And I, I don't know if Holloway is going to be able to get his game plan going and the volume going like he's used to. And it worries me, Sean, because Holloway's not a 28-year-old, 31-year-old in their prime fighter anymore. I'm not saying he's out of his prime necessarily, but he's older and everybody's chin eventually goes. We haven't seen Holloway's chin go yet. So it's like, damn it, when's it going to happen? And I think Justin Gaethje could be the guy to make it happen. I don't want to burst your bubble, but I think he is actually 31 years old. You can Google that while I talk. 31? Dude, I know. But you got to remember how young he was when he fought Conor McGregor the first time around. I think he was like 19. So that would mean 13 years ago. Again, you and I aren't good at math, so we shouldn't. Okay. Well, still, you were, be honest with us now. Be honest, how old did you think he was? You thought he was 35. And I don't blame you for it. Easily, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I did too, and then I Googled it, and then I made you look like a jerk. Uh, Wei Li is taking on Yang Zhaonan, plus 275 for the underdog. Wei Li is a heavy favorite in this fight at minus 350. What's up with that? I don't know, man. That makes me nervous too because Yan Xiaonan has shut some big favorites up before, like knocked out Jessica Andrade when no one was expecting that to happen. She has the same game plan every every fight. She's very technical, very tight. She has a lot of power behind her strikes, and she just takes her time, very patient. She doesn't like crack and get nervous under pressure, and she's not going to give in to the Wei Li Zhang aura. She's going to go in there and fight her fight, and it's always dangerous. Obviously, like I wish this fight went down in China. That would that would have been the move, but UFC 300 can always use the depth. But I think Wei Li should take it. But the fact that she's such a large favorite, you almost have to throw some money on Yan Xiaonan. This this fight's not going to be super one sided. I like the underdog money there. I love the underdog money in the next fight, and that's my boy Du Bronx Charles Oliveira, a plus one twenty five against Armand Sarukian's minus one fifty. Charles Oliveira is one of the most difficult guys for the sports books to figure out. Like, I've seen him as a minus 400. I've seen him as a plus 400. I've seen him as a favorite when he should be an underdog. And this time, he's an underdog, in my opinion, when he should be a favorite. Uh, I don't know. Sean, not Sean, you're Sean. Uh, Charles is a very patchy, right? Very up and down. He's always the underdog for whatever reason, and he's made a lot of uh, bookies look very stupid for that. But lately... I just feel like that Islam fight, like, took it out of him. He pulled it back. That was the only time he was down, though. Everything else is up, right? What am I missing? Like, he's not really been up and down. He didn't look good in that fight. I'll give you that. But even in, like, you know, the Poirier fight, the Gaethje fight. He he won won the fight. He won that fight, too. He won all those fights. now, two or three years later in the 30s. Again, you're probably going to tell me he's 29. But uh, (laughs) I just – I don't think the same – viciousness and you know longevity is there anymore i think that fighters younger fighters someone that hits as hard and wrestles as hard as armin sarukian i just think he's gonna put it on him i i I, to be fair i thought dariush was gonna put him on him too but sarukian is just a 10 years younger dariush who's better so i I don't know man i don't like the charles pick in this one he's 34 you got that one right uh calvin cater the guy who damn near got us kicked off the radio for saying the f-bomb seven times (laughs) takes on aljamain sterling He's been on the show also. Aljo's a really nice guy, and he never tried to get us kicked off the radio, so I think I'll take him at plus 130. I like Aljo here. Uh, I think that he's going to be a completely different animal at featherweight. This is his first fight at featherweight, moving up from bantamweight. We all know that cut at bantamweight absolutely killed him. He got hit by a knuckle from Sean O'Malley and was asleep. You can't cut that much weight when you're that big. So I think the new weight class will serve him well. I think it's going to help his wrestling and his strength and – as much as like the fans are going to want Calvin to shut up Aljo, fans don't like Aljo. We all know that. I think Aljo is going to be able to implement his game plan. He's going to close the distance. He's going to grab a hold of Cater, and he's going to probably out-control him for three rounds if he doesn't find a finish uh, by submission. But, you know, it's just interesting. It's a hard fight to call because Cater's bigger. He's the bigger guy. He's a true featherweight. Aljamain Sterling is moving up for the first time, so there's a lot of questions that has to be answered. I like a lot of underdogs at UFC 300. Good chance to make some money. Max is plus 185 right now. Jean is plus 275. Dubronx plus 125. Aljo plus 130. And then the next fight, I like the dog too. Yuri Prohoshka takes on Alexander Rokic. You can get plus 110 on Prohoshka, minus 140 on Rokic. Yeah, I mean, the time off is making me nervous to bet a minus 140 as a favorite. You know, Rakic hasn't fought in a while, coming off a nasty injury in a fight he was winning against Blahovich. But uh, 
the, the, the time outside of the cage almost never goes well for any fighter. We're talking about Conor McGregor the whole show. He's exhibit A. You know, you take time off, go do a little fun charity fight. You come back to the UFC and get your ass kicked five fights in a row. So, Prohashka, we just saw him come off an injury. He had to shake off some rust. He got knocked out by TKO, but now the rust is gone. He's going to be ready to go, and I think he's going to be able to capitalize on uh, Rochick's coming off the bench a little bit. And, yeah, plus 110, give me, give me Yuri. To your point, taking off work is fun sometimes, although most people don't get better at their job by not doing it. So exactly. when the USC fighter, when we haven't seen him in a few years, I said that with John Jones coming back, and it cost me a little bit of money. Um, the only underdog that I'm not willing to bet on this card so far is Cody Brundage at plus 800. He said plus 800 because he's fighting Bo Nickel at minus 1400. Bo's finished every fight. He's finished by sub. He's finished by knockout. He's finished everybody in the first round. I think it's one and done. Same thing. Like I haven't looked at the odds fight, even money for Bo Nickel to finish his fight in 30 seconds. Oh, probably. And he probably will. I no shame right? for Brundage. Brundage is a good, tough fighter, but I mean, the UFC matches Bo up with people they know he's going to beat. Like, they're building him up for a reason. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Minus 2,000, minus 10,000. Doesn't matter. Bo Nichols, good parlay piece, if you ask me. What's the latest? Have you heard anything, Jake, about Leon Edwards? Are we going to see him on this card or not? At this point, I don't think so. I, I, I Everyone was saying Bilal and Leon Edwards, which I think is the fight to make. But of course. everyone's saying Bilal Muhammad has no room to be in the UFC 300 main event, which I, you know, also kind of agree with. He just doesn't have the style that excites fans. So I don't know. I don't know if they're going to try to pull a quick one and throw uh, Leon in there against someone. I know Leon's coach wants Gilbert. Gilbert's booked at 299. So we might not see it happen. I would, at this point, just keep it off the card. It's not good enough for the main event. It's good enough to be a main event as long as you've got a really good co-main, you know, in a few months. So just hold on to that one and make Law Mom the wait again. Um, before we get out of here, Kayla Harrison is back. Speaking of heavy favorites, dude, she's a minus four fifty against Holly Holm. It's kind of a knock on Holly Holm at plus three fifty. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Kayla Harrison's a beast, and it's a style type of thing with these odds, I think, right? I mean, Holly Holm's a kickboxer. She's going to try to keep it standing. Not that she can't grapple, but that's her signature, knocking out Ronda Rousey and knocking out a bunch of people after that. Kayla Harrison, she closes distance with her forehead, gets a hold of you, gets on top of you, and beats you up until you tap out or get knocked out. It's going to be harder to close the distance in this UFC debut against someone as long and rangy as Holly. But yeah, she's Kayla Harrison, man. It's not like she hasn't fought anybody before. She's fought very good fighters in PFL, so I like the odds. Wait, Holly Holm knocked out Ronda Rousey? Nobody nobody told me. Was anybody going to tell me this? You would think this Did is something Amanda that I should know as a UFC host, huh? I guess maybe I should go back and do a little bit better research. Um, That's it for the show. Thank you to our guests, Matty Betts and Dylan Rush. I liked him from Rush MMA. My producer, Jake, do I like him? He's fine. BT, my producer, or my, my co-host, great guy. I'm the sports machine, Sean Levine. We appreciate you checking us out, and we'll catch you next week right here on Tapped Out.